Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want us to look at verse 35 today. Begin there. And I want to talk to you. We're in a series about faith. And it's impossible to please God without faith. That's what he says. And we've been looking at the power of faith and faith for our future. And today I want to talk to you about faith for the harvest. I love this time of year. It's, it's harvest time of year. I love the changing of the, the colors of the leaves and the, the fields are ripened to harvest, whatever you've planted. And I want to talk to you today about the harvest that God has called us to reap. And I want you to, first of all, think individually. Think about someone that doesn't know Jesus, someone that is your friend or your family member, a son, a daughter, a, a husband, a wife, a mom or dad, an aunt or uncle or nephew or niece or someone at the job, someone that you work with, someone, maybe you're friends, maybe you, you're in a bowling league. I'm not looking at you, but I didn't mean that. But I want you to think about it. Who do you know that needs Jesus? And what is your attitude towards them? Have you given up on them? Have you written them off? Have you, you said, well, they're just too deep into sin and into the world and there's no hope for them? Or do you have faith for the harvest? Now, we're, we're called individually to have faith for the harvest, but as a group, as a, as a church family, we're also called to have faith for the harvest. And I am so proud of our church family because we've raised over $10,000 for crusades in Pakistan coming up beginning in November. That's awesome. And, and personally, I believe that thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus during those crusades. Personally, I believe that thousands of people are going to be healed by Jesus in those crusades. Personally, I believe that thousands of people are going to be set free from life-controlling issues in those crusades. But as a, as a corporate family, I want to ask you, do we have faith for the harvest? It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to raise up some funds and pastor's going to go over to Pakistan and he's going to preach to thousands of people. They estimate that in those crusades, there will be between 15 and 20,000 people in every crusade. And God is moving in Pakistan. There's a window that is opened up. It hasn't been but a few years ago that pastors would go into Pakistan and they would be stoned. But today, things have shifted spiritually and God is touching the people of Pakistan. And we're praying and we're believing and church, God has called us to have faith for the harvest. 
Amen? I want you to join me, in, and let's look at verse 35 through 38 in Matthew chapter 9. This is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture, and I've referred to it many times in the past. But I want us to look at it from the standpoint of how we should think and how we should act so that we can partner with God in the harvest. Look at verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching. He was going and he was doing what? He was teaching and he was preaching. What was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. He was teaching the people that you can have another kingdom, another rule in your life other than the rule of flesh and the rule of the kingdom of darkness. And that's the same message that we preach today, isn't it? It says, and he also, what? And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I love the word every. Don't you? Because today, we don't have faith and we don't see that very often. I've heard accounts of different places around the world and how many realize that we are so blessed in this nation to have the medical facilities and the doctors and the education and all the different things that we have medically. But there are many places in the world, Pakistan included, one of those places where when people are sick, they don't have the money to go to doctors and their doctors aren't anywhere as near prepared and professional as what we have here. So what do they have to rely on? The Word of God. The promises of God. And their faith is in Him. This passage continues. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Everybody say, moved with compassion. For them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're called to do something about the harvest. In this passage, there's a picture that God gives us in his word. That there is a harvest ready to be reaped. And it's going to remain in the field and rot if there aren't harvesters to go and to reap the field. The world we live in today, people are rotting. They're living life outside of the life and the love of Jesus. They're living in a world of sin and death and decay. And God's called us to have faith for the harvest. Amen? God desires that we work. Work as individuals and we work corporately as a group. That we have faith 
for the harvest. And having faith for the harvest means that we see the times that we're living in. We see what God, God, God shows us, how the people are caught up in the sin and the destruction in this life. But we also see our God-appointed position, our God-appointed place in this world that we're not supposed to just hide ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, come get us quickly. And I know Christians, a lot of the times we fall into that. Lord, the world's going to hell in a handbag. And that's true. There is a reality of a heaven and there's a reality of a hell. Amen? And I want to go to heaven. How about you? But what about everyone else that hasn't heard yet? What about everyone else that's living a life without the love of Jesus? I want us to look at this passage. Look at verse 35 again. Jesus went about all the cities and all the villages. I love the word all. Jesus wants everyone to have the opportunity to say yes to him. He went to all the cities, no matter how large the city, no matter how small the villages. And church, we need to have that same passion and concern. There's still over a hundred villages in the state of Alaska that do not have any evangelical witness. And I'm not talking villages of 30, I'm talking villages of 600 and 800 people that don't have any evangelical witness in them. How many are believing by faith for the harvest of Alaska? Believing. Jesus was on the move. Every one of us can fall into that same truth that someone brought the gospel to us. Amen? Somebody brought the message of Jesus to us. And that's why we're here today. Because he transformed our hearts. He transformed our lives. And we worship him. And God has called us to reach out as well. Amen? He's called us to have a faith for the harvest, not only for Pakistan. And again, I thank God that, that our family sacrificed so we can make this mission possible. And I am so excited to see what God's going to do. But church, not only are we called to have faith for Pakistan and for a harvest there or other places around the world, we're called to have faith for a harvest right here in the valley, in our state, in our nation. We need a move of God. Look at verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. This is such a powerful word in the original language. Uh, I, I would try to pronounce it, but it's very difficult and I would probably mess it up. But y'all laugh at me anyway, so I'll try it. Splunknid zami. Or something like that. But the Greek word is powerful. It was actually used in describing human intestines. And what it means, it's a deep yearning. It, it isn't Jesus saying, oh, I, I care about people. It's Jesus bent over 
Because there's such a heart for the harvest. There's such a compassion seeing people who were being destroyed by the enemy. And you say, well, that makes sense. Jesus loves us. He went, he went to the cross and went through everything that he did for us to see that, that we would have that opportunity to come to Jesus and know him. Yes, Jesus has that compassion. He's moved with compassion. He is still moved with compassion. He knows what we go through. He knows what we face. And he cares. Amen? But he doesn't only have that compassion he calls us to the same compassion when was the last time that your gut was just churning because of the compassion you felt for someone and what they were going through that's what this word means that's what this text is talking about it it goes on and it uses the word weary here It says, weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And these two words in the original text, again, are very powerful words. They're they're vicious words. The word weary here means more than, than just tired. The idea is that there is something pursuing the sheep. And the sheep are being so harassed that they're exhausted. That's what it means. Years ago when I was deer hunting in Wrangell, I was driving down a logging road. And I was on a little four-wheeler and I was going really slow and kind of watching on the sides. And all of a sudden in front of me, a deer just jumps out into the road. And right behind it, there was a wolf, this huge wolf. And the wolf just jumps out right behind it. And, and, and both of them start heading right towards me. And I'm, I'm stopping. I, I'm, I'm stunned. I can't believe what I'm seeing. But it was amazing to see how this, this little fawn was just running and darting back and forth across the road and and how the wolf was right with it it couldn't shake the wolf there's nothing it did it it would jump to one side and jump to the other side and the wolf was just right behind it and finally right before they got to me the wolf or the 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 fawn jumps off the road again back into the woods and and the wolf was right behind it and they were out of sight and I couldn't see him but that's the idea of this passage That people are being harassed by the enemy, harassed by sin to such an extent that they're weary, that they're tired, that they're to the point of exhaustion. That's what it means. And that's what we see people living in and struggling in. The other word is scattered here. And in the original, it means that to be just tossed aside. And we live in in a culture and society where many times people are used up and then they're just tossed aside. Some of us have probably experienced that. We've worked hard for someone in in an employment or something and, and and it seems like we've 
come to the point where they don't think we're useful anymore, even though we've put all this effort in, and they say, sorry, we're going to let you go. That's the, the culture of the enemy. That's the culture and the mindset of, of the, the society that we live in. And we see people, that's the way the enemy works in the lives of people. He just uses them up and tosses them aside. But the great thing is that God is calling the church to partner with him to win the harvest. I'm going to say that again. The great news is that there is the church of Jesus Christ who is empowered by the Holy Spirit who is called by God to go in and reap the harvest. To see those souls that are weary and scattered brought to life in Jesus and to never be the same again. I'm thankful that this, this December will be the end of our eighth year here at Summit in the Valley. And we'll be entering into our ninth year on December the 1st. But what I want us to think about is what has God done in this body of believers in the last eight years? And I want us to think about some of the things that God's done. First of all, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we know that God's going to help us. Amen? That's the attitude I came in with. Lord, I can't do this. I can't do anything, but God, you can do all things. And that's the attitude that we're going to continue to have for those that need Jesus, those that need to be reaped into the harvest, gathered from the harvest field. I want you, as we begin this new year, going into our ninth year, to say, I am going to have faith. Lord, give me faith to believe for my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife that this year is going to be the year of harvest for them. Amen. This year is going to be a year of harvest for our church. Jesus said in a comparable passage in John, in John chapter 4, verse 35, he's talking about the harvest again. And listen to what he says. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. I want us to think about that for a moment. What is Jesus saying? First of all, he's saying there's this natural tendency for us to say, well, harvest comes one time a year. It comes after the crop's been planted, it's been watered. Over a period of time it grows, and then comes the harvest. That's what he's saying there. And spiritually, we do the same thing. Spiritually, we have a tendency to think about the harvest only coming, well, when we have a big guest speaker that's a great evangelist or they're going to focus on people coming to know Jesus, we're going to invite the lost and we're going to see a great harvest then. But what does Jesus say? He says, the field is white unto harvest now. 
I want you to let that sink in. Jesus is saying that he is working right now by his Holy Spirit on people that you know that don't know Jesus and they're ready to say yes. He's, he's saying you don't have to wait till a big evangelistic service. You don't have to wait. He says, I am working in the hearts and the lives of people right now. They're ready. They're white with harvest. They're ready for you to come, come to them and share the gospel of the kingdom of God. We need to get our mindset changed and align the way we think with the word of God, with Jesus. And that's what he's wanting us to do in this passage. He's wanting us to change the way we think. Well, someday my, my son or my daughter is going to come back to the Lord. Or someday my husband or my wife is going to come to the Lord. It may be on their deathbed. But I'm believing God's going to do it someday. And God's saying, the field is white right now. You need to have faith and believe I'm working and I'm moving. You need to be ready for the harvest today. Today. How many want to be that kind of church? I'm reminded of Zerubbabel. He had a task that God gave him that was impossible in the flesh. He was told to rebuild the temple and he couldn't get the workers to continue to stay with him and work. He was frustrated. He probably wanted to give up. But listen to what God tells him in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Very familiar passage. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I love that passage of Scripture. We're not going to reap a harvest in our community or in Pakistan because of our ability. It's not our strength. It's not our power. It's not our wisdom. It doesn't have to do with how good-looking we are. And y'all are a good-looking church. It doesn't matter how trained we are. It has to do with the Spirit of God moving. Amen? It has to do with God's Spirit enabling us to fulfill His plan and His purpose for our lives. And church, we welcome the Holy Spirit to do that in us. But look at what else the Lord said to Zerubbabel. He said, Who are you, O great mountain? He's comparing this task that was impossible to a great mountain but that stood before Zerubbabel. But then, what does he say? You shall become a plain. Church, God still removes the great mountains. I'm going to say that again. God still removes the great mountains and makes them a plain. 
Amen? But then he goes on in this verse and he says, And he shall bring forth the capstone. That's Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is going to bring forth the capstone. The capstone was the final finishing touch that went on top of the corner of the pillar. And, and it meant that the project was done. God was saying, this project is going to come to completion. Every little aspect of it will be accomplished and done. But then he had a, a clause in there. He says, it's going to be done with shouts of grace, grace to it. So what was Zerubbabel, what was his responsibility in this? To shout grace. To shout grace over that temple. And we've talked about, I've done a whole message on shouting grace. But I just wanted to bring it into this harvest message today because we need to be a church that's shouting grace over our loved ones that don't know Jesus. We need to be a church that's shouting grace over the, the Pakistan Crusades. Amen? And what are we doing? What was Zerubbabel doing when he shouted grace? Is he simply saying, God's given us favor? No, in this context, what he's saying is, God, by your Holy Spirit... Make it happen. In the grace of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit moving and drawing the people back. Drawing the people back to work to help Him finish the temple. And church, I want to shout grace today, but I want to shout grace not to build the temple, but I want to shout grace over the people, over the harvest, that God would move by His Spirit and that we would have faith to, to enter in and tell people about Jesus and see the harvest reaped for the glory of God. Another thing that God's been doing, because the enemy is tearing people apart that need Jesus, the Lord's been working in us. Amen? Amen? God's looking for hearts that are open to Him that say, Lord, do whatever it takes in my life. Work in me. Work in my heart that I can be the person of God that you want me to be. That I can accomplish your plan, your purpose. And there's several things that God's done in us corporately in the last eight years. The first thing that He's done is we are a Christ-exalting church. Austri like that. Everybody else is kind of zoned out. Thank you, Austri. I'm glad you're with me. There are far too many churches today that do not exalt Christ. They exalt the pastor. Or they exalt the, the, the group, the church itself. or They exalt the worship team. Church, I can tell you with all sincerity that this church hasn't accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish because of me or the worship team. As much as I love the worship team, it's because we exalt Jesus in this house. 
I can't save you. The worship team can't save you. But Jesus Christ can and will transform your heart and life. So we're going to continue to, to bring glory to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never experienced the transforming power of Jesus in your heart, there's no better time, no better place than when we close this service to say yes to Jesus. Amen? I can't imagine my life without Christ. I've seen God do so many miracles and turn so many lives around. I've seen Him take people that were bound by alcohol and drugs, totally set them free. I've seen God take uh, people that were bound in pornography and break that off their lives, never to return. I've seen people that, that couldn't help their whole life was just lying. They lied when there wasn't even a reason to lie. And I've seen God transform their life in an instant. It's, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with our Creator. Amen? What else has God done in our house, in our lives? We are a word-centered church. This is what we live by. And we don't compromise it. If God's Word says it's sin and it's iniquity, it's wrong, it'll destroy your life, then that's what we believe. And we believe that if you live according to this Word, you will live the best possible life you can live while here on earth. So we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, Preach the Word. One of the things in the interviews with new credentialees, a lot of times I will quote this passage or turn to this passage and tell them, it's, it's not about you sermonizing and, and coming up with all these different things. It's about preaching the Word. Amen? He says, Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Church, that's happening today. You can find a, a church that will never convict you during the sermon. And I'm not saying that's my whole purpose every time I preach. But I know for a fact that if you're preaching the Word of God, the Word of God is refining in our lives. The Word of God works in us and it points out and highlights things that God wants to remove from our lives to make us better men and women of God, more like Jesus. Amen? So we're not going to compromise. We're going to be a, a word-centered church. The third thing, we're a spirit-filled church. We know we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't ever want to come to church that the Holy Spirit isn't here and moving. 
I don't ever want to preach except like Paul in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we quote it all the time. Do not be drunk with wine which in, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word there, be filled with the Spirit in the original language, literally means continue to be filled. It's living a life where every day your heart's open to the Lord, your life is open, and you say, Lord, I need more of Jesus. Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit's power and anointing. That wherever I go, Lord, people will recognize I have been with Jesus. That's what it said about the disciples, that they recognized they had been with Jesus. That's what I, I want people. When I go to Pakistan, I don't care if they ever learn my name at all. The only thing I want them to realize is that I have been with Jesus. I've been with Jesus. And I'm going to teach his word and preach his word. The fourth thing, and this was fundamental, we're a praying church. Every ministry Every life to be successful has to lay a foundation of prayer. When we came, there were so many struggles in the church. Sunday nights, we just began to focus and focus on prayer. And that's what we would do. We would worship and we would pray. We, we started an intercessory group and, and our group has gotten so large. On Tuesday, um, from 11 to 12, we gather together and we begin to pray the elders pray before that. The staff prays after that. But we have three hours of prayer in, in those groups every Tuesday. We have prayer in our small groups. We have prayer in our services. Years ago, I had somebody come to me and they, say, they said, why do we pray so much during our services? And it kind of threw me back. I thought, Lord, you need prayer. <laughs> I did. I was nice, though I didn't say that. But church, you can never pray too much. Scripture says pray without ceasing. So we're always to be in that communication with our Father. Having to realize you can be riding down the road on your four-wheeler and be talking to Jesus. You can, you can be riding your motorcycle and be talking to Jesus. You can be sitting in the car next to Melinda and you're definitely talking to Jesus while she's driving. <laughs> I love you, dear. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We've talked about the word supplication many times, but whenever we come across that, I want to make this statement. Supplication isn't begging God. The idea of supplication in, in Scripture is that we know the Word of God. We know what God has promised, and we're not going to settle for anything less than what God has promised us in His Word. 
So we continue to pray and we continue to believe God and say, this is what you promised. Lord, I'm going to pray until I receive it. That's supplication. And that's how we're called to pray. Prayer is the foundation for the harvest. Every ministry has to have that foundation of prayer. I I encourage our staff all the time and our uh, small group leaders and others that are ministering in the church, before you do anything, pray. You have to pray before your small group. Pray before you fix the food. Pray before you eat the food. Pray. Lay a foundation of prayer. And church, we need to be thankful for all that God's done in our church. I am thankful. I'm thankful to be your pastor. It's an honor and a privilege. And I love you. But God gave our founding pastor, you may not know this, Pastor Paul Riley and Helen, his wife's here with us. God put it in their heart to start this church. Back, what was it, 1950? 51? 51. And they started in the Little Log Library down there on Main Street, I think, didn't you? Yeah. And then they built the the building where the Teen Challenge is now. And then they built this building in in the early, early 80s. And this church at that time under Pastor Paul was the prominent assembly of God in our fellowship church in the state of Alaska. They had a vision and a faith for the harvest. It was a church that was creating leaders. They were growing up and and going out, and the church was a sending church. And the church would send missionaries. The church would send pastors to the villages. The church would send missions groups. In church, that's where God wants us to be again. I believe that God, when I first met Pastor Paul and Helen, I came and I asked them to lay hands on me and to pray for me. Because I'd been to the church, I saw the disarray, I I saw the small number of people that were left, and I knew that I could never do it. And I told them that the vision that God gave them is the vision that I wanted to have. That I wanted to see what God birthed in them all those years ago, birthed in me, that we would see this church family fulfill what God had called us to do. And so today I challenge you to join me and say, Lord, Give me faith for the harvest. Because some of us have witnessed to family or friends and, and we've, we've, we've had, had a, a hand put in our face. I don't want to hear that. But Jesus is coming soon. And I believe we're entering into that great harvest time. And so I want to have faith for the harvest.
Will you stand with me? Worship team, would you come? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. I just want you to agree with me right now in prayer. We're going to have the, the prayer team gather around the back of the auditorium and across the front. And they'll, they'll be glad to pray with you, not just about the harvest, but if you've never accepted Jesus, if you need a healing touch, if you need a miracle in your life, whatever your need is today, our prayer team loves to pray with people. But before we, before we do that, I want to just have you agree with me about the harvest. Will you do that? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord Jesus, we thank You for the compassion that You have. And Lord, I pray that the same compassion that You have, Lord, that we would have that same compassion. That we would see those that are living in decay and death and we would run to the harvest. Lord, that we would have faith to believe for our family and for our friends, that we would pray and believe, Lord, that you're going to save them, that you're going to bring them into the kingdom. And Lord, I agree right now with everyone that's here this morning and those that are on their hearts, those that they're thinking about right now. Whether it's a friend at work or family member, Whoever it is, they know right now, Lord, you've brought that person to their heart and to their mind. And Lord, I pray that whatever it takes, whatever it takes, lift that veil from these hearts that they would see their need for Jesus Christ. And Lord, work on them by your, your mighty power. And Lord, we shout grace over them today. Grace. Move in their lives by your mighty spirit. And Lord, help us. Lord, to pray for laborers for the harvest field. And to be laborers for the harvest field. Lord, not just in Pakistan, Lord, I believe with all my heart that you're going to move mightily and powerfully. And I thank everyone who gave to make that possible. Many sacrifices. And Lord, we're going to believe you for a great harvest. But Lord, I want to believe for a great harvest in our own family, across the street, across the, 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 the valley, Lord those of our friends and family and acquaintances. Lord, we want to see a harvest in this valley. Lord, you are the, the one that is the Lord of the harvest.
And we pray to you. We ask you for faith to believe for the harvest. Lord, work in us that we can be harvesters. Lord, give us faith for the harvest. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. joining us today we look forward to connecting with you next time and don't forget you can support us by giving through the church center app or by going online at summitwc.com give